180 meters to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot! What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh my goodness, what a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easy number five, joining the lead. An amazing victory for the second time. Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. Welcome to another episode on Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. This is number three in my podcast series. And today we're going to head in a slightly different direction. As an instructor, I'm all about helping players improve. And a vital aspect of better golf and better scores is having the correct mindset. You must have your mind in a great place to produce the results that you're after. So today we are delving into the mental side the visuals and the pre-shot routines that can and will help you achieve a better game. I'd like to welcome my guest to this special episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. We're going to get into the mental game, the mind game and how it can help. And my guest today is Jenny Saville, who was an Australian LPGA player, top the money list in 1992, second on the money list in 93, and was probably a pioneer of Australian women taking their trade over to Japan. Had a few tournament victories over there, nine in total. Welcome, Jenny. Nice to speak to you. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm a golf instructor, and I'm more in the technique side of things, obviously, as a player. Mm -hmm. I uh, it got into the, the mind stuff as well. You're not successful if you don't have that. But I, I'd love to hear, because I'm a teacher and the mind game is your personal direction now. How did this evolve? Um, you know, I've read a quote from you that you were voted the least likely to succeed when you turned pro. That doesn't uh, give you a good uh, a rap on your on your skills, but obviously you had had the skill, but how did you evolve to produce the victories that you did. Yeah, well, Brad, it's probably not the best um, title to uh, be awarded when you first go uh, uh, turn pro and go on tour. And, uh, you know, I was a, a reasonable amateur golfer. I played for my state, you know, went to the amateur uh, championships in this country, but never played for Australia. Um, never really achieved anything more than a you know, semi-final in a state championship. So when I did turn pro, people were surprised. Uh, and yeah, I even heard on the golfing grapevine that, you know, I'd never never make a cent from the game and I certainly wouldn't win a tournament. So yeah, headed off to the European tour initially and, and played on that tour. And uh, believe it or not, I, I proved all those doubters right. Um, yeah, had a really tough first year on tour, uh, missed a lot of cuts just by one shot. And, you know, came home after nine months on that tour and wanted to give up. But uh, uh, I was still dreaming to make uh, golf my career. And I knew I had to change things. And uh, my husband was very encouraging. And he said, you know, you've got to give it a couple of years. Um, you can't give up yet. And uh, at the time was juggling a few jobs in Sydney, you know, waitressing and bar work. So I could still practice my golf. And I... Uh, 
stumbled across this course uh, in the early uh, 90s that was called Mind Power. And back then there weren't a lot of sports psychologists like they are, there are these days. So I thought, oh, I've got to look at something other than, you know, I can hit the ball pretty good, but what am I doing wrong? So went along and did this Mind Power course. And what I learned in that course, I adapted to my golf game. And it pretty much uh, turned everything around. So I went from that struggling uh, rookie professional that wanted to give up and get a so-called real job. And uh, yeah, in the next seven uh, to eight years, uh, you know, became number one in the country here, you know, nine tournaments internationally and yeah, a few million dollars in the bank. So it is something that you know, I don't say that lightly. I don't say it to boast. I just love to share that story because it is uh, an amazing transformation from, you know, really struggling with the golf game and then, um, um, you know, getting to the highest level I could possibly be for myself. So, yeah, it's now transpired into me wanting to share those, those strategies and techniques that I used um, with golfers of all levels. So how did you uh, how did you turn it around? Did you uh, obviously put more emphasis on what you were thinking, and and was that more course management or um, giving yourself the benefit of the doubt and not being as hard on yourself, or just finding like breathing techniques, things to slow you down, things that basically allowed your potential to come out? Which which would you put in that order, or, or none, or something else? Okay, um, it was just a total an awareness of um, what I was saying to myself, you know, what thoughts were passing through my head and what sort of goals had I set for myself and um, did I believe in myself enough and, you know, was I worrying about what other people thought, for example. And all those things played a big part in it. Um, and initially I just started um, a technique and any golfer can use this is just to um, start catching your thinking, be aware and awareness is the key word uh, to what you're saying when you're going to golf, you know, when you're driving in the car, when you get there, what you say to other people before you hit a shot, after you hit a shot and what you say on the way home. So it's really just understanding what am I saying to myself? What do, what do I think my reality is? And can I change that by the way I think? So for me personally, it was, you know, I went on the European tour thinking if I made a few cuts, that'd be pretty good given the record I had at the time. So, you know, my focus was on mis uh, making cuts. All right, you didn't I never set the goals high enough to, to reach maybe. maybe. Absolutely, absolutely. And I didn't believe I was a good enough player to possibly win a tournament. Now, where those beliefs came from could have been um, just my record or not even, even um, yeah, just not aspiring high enough, as, as you say. So, you know, I was behind the eight ball then because as we know, and you'd know yourself, if you're a player that's focusing on the cut line, you're either going to just make it or just miss it. So that was my first realisation. I need to set my goals a bit higher. Um, but I also just started to watch what I was thinking. And, and a lot of things were, for example, if I started uh, a tournament with a few bogeys, it would be like, here we go again. You know, um, it's going to be one of those rounds. And for the average golfer, you often hear people get to the golf course and uh, people say, oh, how are you going? And that 
they instantly just say, oh, I don't know why I'm here, I'm playing so badly. <laughs> and they haven't even hit a shot. Or on the first hole, for example, they'll hit one bad shot and they'll say, oh, one of those days. So can you see instantly how people, uh, from what they say and what they think, you know, they're not hoping it's going to be one of those days, but they're almost accepting it. Oh, I've hit one bad shot. So it's going to be uh, that kind of day. And some other examples are, you know, a lot of people hit in the bunkers and, oh, gosh, uh, you know, I've hit it in there. I'll probably take bogey or the average golfer playing Stableford's probably could say, oh, you know, may as well wipe this hole. So they're, they're giving up by what they're thinking. And one of my favourite things is when people get to a water hole and they say, I'm going to get out an old ball. <laughs> I remember so you, those days when I was like 12 or 13, I had a brand new sleeve of balls. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to kill that too quick. No, that's right. You didn't want to lose the title <laughs> of the brand new one you'd won last week. So um, it's really interesting. But when people hit it in the water, I actually say that's when you should congratulate yourself because you actually did what you said you were going to do. I know I'm going to hit it in the water, so I'm going to get out a out a old ball. Yeah, that's so the that, perfect game plan. That's right, and it came off. So you just got to learn to switch that game plan through the way you think. Well, it's, so it's interesting. Sorry, um, go ahead. No, you go. I, I was just going to touch on a point that you said about the uh, you know your awareness on the way the course, at the course, who mm. you meet, who you talk to. I remember in 1993, I was uh, the final day of the Australian Masters. And I was driving to the course and I had a horrendous um, drive to the course. It was probably 25 minutes from where I lived. And I got mm. cut off and all the, and, you know, nearly had about three crashes. People were just driving crazy. And normally yeah. I'd have a little bit of a fit of road rage. But for some reason that day, I didn't say boo. I just accepted it and kept calm and, and went mm. on. And sure enough, by the end of the day, that carried over into my golf and I ended up winning. So it, yeah. it is, it's certainly attitude in, in all areas, uh, like you said, leading up to the course and, and practice and everything. So if, with that in point, if you, how do you turn that around if you've had a bad drive to the course or you've met John in the car park and he's given you some grief? How do you, how do you try and mm -hmm. shape yourself into a better frame of mind? Yeah, um, just back to driving, you know, that's that's a life thing that happens to people all the time and it's the same example that you use at the golf course. You know, people pull out in front of you in traffic and you can say, oh, great, it's going to be one of those days. But really when you look at it, someone just pulled out in the traffic and, you know, it's up to you whether you have a good day or not. So we, we want to transfer that attitude to the golf course. So, yes. Um, people will stay, say stuff that might annoy you or trigger you or put you in a negative frame of mind. But firstly, I like to, you know, just imagine a force field around myself because I get a lot of questions about how do you stop other people's negativity affecting us. But we could talk about that one um, a little bit more later. But th there's a three-step process that I try to get people to do when I first work with them. And, and that is the first thing the awareness. So you're going to catch your thinking. So what you're going to do is start, go, oh, that's one of those thoughts. So when that thought pops up, you have a choice to whether fight it, accept it, or just let it pass. Or what I like to say is delete it. So if you get a thought that, oh, I've hit a bad shot, my second shot of the day, it's going to be one of those days. Just, no, um, okay, I'm not going to recognise that as my reality today. I'm going to delete it 
and what would I like my reality to be? Okay, it's just one bad shot. In most rounds of golf, we will have a bad shot. So I'm going to accept it and I'm going to insert uh, one bad shot does not make a bad round. Um, you know, we can do the same, um, you know, you get to the course and someone says, how are, you, how are you playing? Oh, I'm playing terrible. Well, you're not because you haven't hit a shot. You're just thinking about last round. So if you want to keep affirming that you're playing badly, that's what you'll get. That's the result that you'll get. So when you catch yourself saying, oh, I'm playing badly, um, just think, oh, no, I don't want that to be real. It's a new day delete it. I've got every chance of, you know, if I commit to my swing and that's where I combine this stuff with having a good coach and having a good, um, the fundamentals right and a good swing thought. If you incorporate that, okay, I'm hitting the ball pretty good. I just had a lesson with Brad last week. I'm on top of this. There's no reason why I can't play well today. Yeah. And pressure, you know, or fear, if you want to call it that also, is, is mainly self-inflicted, isn't it? There's no... No one's Definitely. making you do something, so it, it is entirely up to you. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point because most people are fearful for lots of reasons or they get nervous. So when they're walking to the first tee, you know, a lot of times, you know, the clubhouses are usually around the first tee. It's so, oh, there's a bunch of people over there watching. They're probably not even watching, but we think they are. So you get a little bit nervous. Um, you know what it's like standing in front of thousands of people. If you get nervous, how do we overcome that? I used to t trick myself and just say, I play my best golf when I'm nervous. So I'm aware that I'm nervous and I don't fight it. I just embrace it and, and switch it in my mind like this is really good. I'm going to play well because I am nervous instead of that taking over. Yeah, I think that's what the best players do. Like I've had a lot of people speak to me and they'll say uh you know how did how do you play with all those people lined up and i said mm. i really don't even notice them it almost gives me a, a tunnel vision um That's right. you know i play with norman a fair bit greg norman i played yeah. the day i play with tiger woods i've never seen so many people on the golf course yeah. and then yeah. i was nervous because it's tiger woods and he's you know the reigning masters champ and probably mm. u.s open champ and it actually helped me having all those people watching because I couldn't see all the, you know, all the water and all that junk that maybe sneak into my head. Yeah. It was a, it's a great thing, but obviously if you're not used to it or it's a, like we said, a comfort thing, it's hard for people to appreciate and deal with. Mm, mm. And what we're talking about relates to all levels of golfers, don't you agree? Whether you're playing in the Masters or you're playing with Tiger Woods, you know, people get these thoughts that pass through their head that they might be just playing with the club champion or someone off a lower handicap than themselves. And, you know, they start to um, think uh, or that they doubt themselves, they don't back their ability and they have these negative thoughts running through their head that sabotage their shots without actually... Um, you know, even hitting a shot. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it ties them up in knots, a, you know, the mm. mental side of it. They, they can't recreate the, the physical side of it. They've really got mm. no chance. I always made an effort to play with better players when I was younger. I wanted to play with as good a player as I could play with. Because mm. in that way they lift you, don't they? Yeah, and you, and you learn things. You watch. And, mm. you know, even getting back to your point there about, let's say, uh, John, who's off a 15 handicap, and he's he's thinking his score. He's you know he's on the 14th hole. And he's going, damn, I'm having the best score of my life here. I'm 
you know, a couple more pars and a couple more bogeys. I'm going to break 80 for the first time. And, and what does he do? Mm. Yeah. Bogey's in, triples the last. <laughs> yeah, he gets so far ahead of himself instead of just doing what he was doing. So I think, mm. you know, the Bobby Jones once said the, what did he say? The quote was something like the golf is played on a six inch course between your ears. And that's Absolutely. really, that's really a great quote because a lot of people have ability and you know, everyone has a limited or an extreme ability to a certain level, but mm. they're holding themselves back by the, the way they think. So mm. based on your experience of, of doing this now for a number of years, what, um, what success stories have you seen? What have you um, has been the most benefit for people? You know, obviously people are different. They'll take things differently and you have a different approach for, for different, uh, you know, whether it's a man, whether it's a woman, whether it's a mid handicap or whatever. How's, how do you approach all those different people or do you think it's very similar and they just have to gain the most from it? Yeah, I think uh, across the board, um, the basis of what I teach can go across the board. So, you know, I, I teach the catching your thinking, the delete the negative thoughts and insert the positive, but you then have to go into, you know, being in the now, the old saying that it's, it's just one shot at a time. And, you know, the world talks about mindfulness and being in the now, and it's no... It's so important on the golf course to do that. And as you just suggested, um, you know, someone might be playing below their handicap and they're getting ahead of themselves. They're already thinking about signing their card, but they don't finish it off because they're focusing on the result. So the mind wanders to the result. And what they do is they start to get nervous. They're thinking about that. They haven't gone back into the, just being in the in the now and uh, doing the best swing that they can poss possibly do on each shot. So I try to get people to, once they understand how the mind's working and they're aware of all those thoughts that are popping through their head, they have to have two other key things to fall back on. And as an instructor, you would know how important it is picking a target and having a routine. And those two things... Um, with the awareness of uh, mental strength gets you through hitting each shot just one shot at a time so when you're feeling nervous and you're walking to that first tee and you think there's people around you and i'm feeling nervous i'm going to then say okay this is great i'm feeling nervous and i get to the tee but how am i going to get over those nerves i'm going to go okay I'm just going to go through my routine. I'm going to pick my target and I'm not going to look at anything but my target. And a lot of golfers um, think I'm just going to hit it down the fairway, but that's not really the target. See, and this, they is, start this is music to my ears because I've, mm -hmm. I've done this a lot in lessons recently with people. And you know, you know the golfer, they want to get their swing great and look great. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I've, I have encouraged a lot of students recently to let's do the first half of the lesson technique and mm. then the second half I'm going to sit down here and have my coffee and I'm going mm. to watch you just battle through your pre-shot routine your small target and what comes may come you know whatever your swing does is the result of that because you can't just go on the course and expect to have a good mental road routine if you don't practice it. 
That's right. So yeah, so you do that on the range. You practice, you pick your, your small spots on every single shot. You don't keep scooping balls over and just hitting them down the, the driving range. You've got to get into that habit of having a specific target. And it's like going back to the waterhole. You know, when they're standing in, on the um, tee and they're thinking, don't hit it in the water, don't hit it in the water, I say, okay, is the water your target? No, it's not. Okay, it's a par three. Look up at the green. What's your target? Your brain only you know? hears water. It doesn't hear don't. Absolutely. It hears water, water, water. So what if you stood on the tee and said to yourself, oh, gosh, I hope I don't hit it up there on the green? <laughs> you probably do it. That's right. <laughs> because your target becomes the green or a spot on the green. Or, you know, if you can't reach the green, pick that spot where you're going to lay up where you've got your best chance to, you know, maybe get up and down. So those are the target and then incorporating your routine. Okay, if you're thinking about your routine, whether it's um, lining up from behind, walking into the shot or having a couple of practice swings, making sure that you're um, set up correctly. If you're thinking about those things, what's happening is your brain is engaged with something to think about. So that uh, stops the negative thoughts creeping in because the mind's busy it's got something to think about but you've got to do it on every single shot and I think that's where a lot of average golfers fall down um, you know they do it for a while or they get you know they think oh it's my shot and I wasn't ready or they rush um, but they, they they just got to be prepared to you know make sure they get those targets and do the routine and you put all that together and that's what you that's how you get good results. Yeah, and it's golf, even though the ball's sitting still, it's still a very reaction sport. I always try and tell people that that mm -hmm. you know, the ball's there but there's still a target involved. So the better you can pay attention to a target, the better your swing is gonna recreate yep. itself. And you know, the you practice your swing to make it recreate, but you mm -hmm. need the the visual like a basketball guy for a three pointer, he ain't thinking what he's doing, he's just looking at the target with his eyes and reacting to it so it's That's it's right. hard in golf because a lot of people think you've got to do a lot more to that golf ball to make it move than you really have to so yeah. it's a yeah. you know right. mental side of things and proper preparation I mean think of let's say um Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods and Annika Sorenstam let's let's call them the three best you know in their mm -hmm. in their yep. uh, genders and careers type thing they mm -hmm. were probably the most headstrong, purposeful practices, visualizers of all time. Yeah. So did they have the best swings? No, but they had all that under control and it obviously brought them to the top. That's right. That's right. Because, you know, people strive to get, try to have the best swing, but you can have, and you would have seen guys you played with that tried to be pros that might have been better ball strikers or had a, a better swing than yourself. I know there were certainly players when I was on tour that, um, you know, faded away because they just couldn't get that bit between the head right. And you and there's no, and if you spend all these hours on the driving range um, practicing because you want that perfect swing, it doesn't always make you a, a perfect or great golfer. I remember, yeah, sorry, I was just thinking, you know, when I played in Japan a lot of the times and I'd play a practice round, a lot of times I didn't hole out, you know, I was just getting the pace of the greens and some of the girls I'd play with would um, play matches or they'd, you know, take 
hole out every putt. And if they started missing a few three or four footers, the, the little testers, they'd be the ones on the driving on the putting green all night. Yeah, weighing on them. <laughs> yeah, because you they think, oh gee, I'm putting bad. Um, I better go and practice for another three hours. I remember playing in Japan, uh, you know, we were probably up there similar times, maybe I was, yeah. and yeah. I, I used to play a little bit with Graham Marsh and Roger Mackay in practice rounds, and we'd just have a little bet just to keep some interest, and yeah. I'd, I'd get drawn with Roger quite a lot, and, mm -hmm. you know, he was a, he won a bunch of tournaments in Japan, he was a yeah. great player, and yeah. we would play practice rounds, and I would pay out money every week. He was the worst practice round player I've ever seen. He would like hit pop skies and cold tops and toe hooks, and then you know you'd hand your money over to Brian Jones and Marsh, and they were laughing, accepting your money. And the next day, you'd turn up at the course for your afternoon tea time, and there's Armakai on the board at five under. It was, yeah. it, that used to freak me out. That I I didn't think I could do that. I had to. I didn't want to play bad in a practice round. I didn't want to play too good. But he had the down to an art. He obviously just left his mm -hmm. game there and went about it the next day because you can trick your mind and I used to just if I missed one of those four footers in a practice round I'd just say you know what when it counts you'll get that so I'm, I'm coaching myself on the mental side you know I'm out there and I'm telling myself you know what normally and when you're playing a tournament I know your concentration steps up so I would just say to myself, you know, when you're doing your full-on routine and you're you're in the zone or you you're in a competition, that's when I'll make those putts when they're important and I know I can do it. So, I'd, you know, I might go and have a few putts to finish at the end of the day, but I didn't stay there for another three hours trying to get the perfect putting stroke and not accepting that I might miss one. Yeah, that's 100% true. You, you just can't make them all. And like you touched on mm. earlier, you know, you have a bad hole at the start. But how often has, in the pro ranks I'm using as a main example, has someone started off with a bogey and then gone nuts, like had shot seven or eight yeah. under? It's, I yeah. don't know whether they had the ability to get over it, didn't care about it, or it inspired them to get in that zone again. And, you know, it, it's just one shot or one hole, and, the, you know, there's 72 in a tournament. Mm. And I think golfers can learn a lot from the bad shots. Not all, everyone... Uh, you see a bunch of people on the driving range and they might hit 10 shots and nine of them are pretty good. And they don't really react to them because they think that's how I want to hit it. Okay, yeah, that's going good. And they hit one bad shot, they're frustrated, they might bang their club slightly, they might, you know, grit their teeth. They could get even worse, as we've seen, um, with frustration and anger. And that one shot they focus on as the bad shot. So then they spend the next hour trying to work out what happened with that one bad shot. Absolutely. So, yeah. And that's when they have to go back to what yourself as a, a swing coach would teach them. Okay, what do I do when I'm hitting a good shot? What are the swing thoughts? So, yeah, you hit one bad shot. I tell people to just ignore those. Don't add any emotion or reaction to it. Just go, well, that wasn't a very good shot. Done. Okay, let's go back to my routine, my swing thought, and think about hitting more good shots because you get more of what you focus on. So stand there and focus on that one bad shot. You'll get more of those. Yeah, I remember Tom Watson uh, listening to him at a, a dinner one night and mm. he was talking about how he 
would watch every shot until it stopped rolling. Good, bad, indifferent, because he knew he could learn something from every shot that he mm -hmm. hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I tell people um, another thing to do is, you know, when people come off the course and someone says, oh, how'd you go today? Oh, if it wasn't for the three, three putts and I hit one out of bounds on eight and, you know, I'm not hitting my driver very well. Um, I don't know what it's like over there, but particularly in Australia, we tend to share a lot of, you know, the, the, the bad stuff because you want to explain why it's you... It's more intriguing or more exciting or more of an excuse, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, um, you know, we don't... When someone says, how'd you go, you don't want to go, God, I'm smashing it and I hold all these putts because we know people won't want to play with us next week. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, what I tell people to do is, okay, when you're leaving the course and you're driving home, say to yourself, what was my best shot out there today? And all of a sudden you'll go, oh, yeah, I, I hit a pretty good drive on the fourth. Oh, I chipped a couple of really good chips today and hold a couple of putts I, I, I wasn't expecting. So what they're doing there is they're leaving the course, focusing on some of the good things that happened during that round. And when they arrive the following week or the next day, whenever it is, and someone says, how are you playing? They're like, oh, okay. They remember that they had a few good things in the last round rather than saying, oh, I'm playing really badly and I shouldn't even be here today. You know, I should have stayed at the office. But, um, yeah, so they train themselves to focus on those good shots that they did because in every round there'll be a couple of good shots that you're pretty happy with because that's why we play this game. Well, you've got to pat yourself on the back for your good shots. You don't, you don't just beat yourself up over the bad. Yeah, yeah. So, what you know, there's all different types of people too. Let's say from your, uh, you know, your classes and your instructions that you do and your clinics and what have you, you've got different type of people. I'm, I'm always interested because I'm a bit of an introvert. I never used to, like, do cartwheels and run around down the yep. fairway. And then you got, yeah, yep. extroverts. How do they, how would they differ just so people might know uh, in you know they can classify themselves and and say one thing may help me or hinder me or or what have you. Yeah, well, you do have a lot of people that are quite happy to run around and high five and um, get really excited, and they could be the same people that you know get really angry or whatever. They're quite happy to openly um, show their emotions. I'm a little bit like you, Brad. I didn't show a lot of emotion on the course. Um, because I had to kind of keep it even and that was just my personality. And then, you know, we had Kari Webb that actually showed um, when she was disgruntled on the course and a lot of people um, criticised Kari for that. But um, And I spoke to her about it, you know, and I, you know, I was a bit older and I said, Kari, why don't you smile a bit more? You'll get a few more fans. But she explained to me that that was just... She wasn't angry. She was just disappointed in herself because she had such high expectations and she couldn't inwardly hide her frustration. Um, and you might be that type of person. Everyone's different. Um, as far as hitting a good shot, though, I think everyone, whether you give yourself a little fist pump inside if you're an introvert and go, yeah, that was really good, um, there are ways to encourage yourself on the course. And that's what we're talking about with the mental side of the game. You want to be your own best friend and your, your own coach out there mentally when you're playing, no matter what personality you are. And some people that are introverts get a bit put off by those people that are out there and over the top with 
um, emotions and high-fiving and running around. Um, and, yeah, just dealing with that and just accept that person's like that. I don't have to be like that. Um, I remember, for example, um, playing with Laura Davies one time and she plays so quickly and I was playing a tournament here in Australia with her and on the first hole, you know, she just putts out and marks and or doesn't mark, just putts out, I'll finish. And she did that and I thought, I'll do the same. Well, four putts later, <laughs> um, yeah, I was just like in shock. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. I got caught up in her routine, how she plays. And, yeah, just accept the way I need to mark it. I need to relook at it. I need to go through those steps, my you know, routine and focus and, and get myself, and, I, you know, I might be disappointed in missing the first part, so I need to walk away and get over it and get into that, oh, it's just another part, um, I'm going to go from here kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's such a cliche, you know, the one one shot at a time, everyone mm. goes, yeah, yeah, but to be honest, it, it really is, it's, it's the most simple cliche of all time that, if you get ahead, mm. there's only one shot you can hit right at that second and it's the next one. So what are you worried yeah. about what came before and what's coming after? You have no control over them yet. That's right. That's right. But that takes practice like we know. So, And that's what you do. How And how do you um, how do you find doing that with people? Is it some people get it, uh, some people find it difficult? I remember I was having a bit of trouble a number of years ago and I went and visited Bob Rotella, went and stayed. Yeah. for the day with him at his house in uh, Virginia there and we we talked and and he said to me look there's not one thing I can tell you today that you don't already know but from being a high level golfer but he said some of it you've forgotten mm. so it was a real simple he kept it really simple he understood that I, I knew a lot of the stuff how do you get through to people that haven't done it you know don't know this this stuff are there like uh, nighttime trainings that they can do books uh, you know you've got a book is there is there things that you can make them learn to distinguish what they need to do yeah well I um, there's lots of tools and and strategies that you can um, learn to do but you have to do it on a regular basis as you say because a lot of people know it or, or they'll, like people when they have a lesson from you, they see improvement and then they don't see you for six months because they've forgotten or they've gone back into their old habits. And the same thing happens with your mindset. So you need regular um, training for that. And that was the idea of me, uh, me creating a mind gym because if you were going to go to a normal gym and you wanted to build muscle and maintain the strength, you have to go regularly. So you have to do the same thing to build that mental muscle, the brain. So um, there's lots of things you can do. You can write down stuff um, weekly. I have a lot. I get people to write down their goals and you know put it up, um, put it up somewhere where they see it regularly. And when I first started playing in Japan, you know I read pretty crazy into the stuff I was doing just in the hotel rooms and. You know, the days we were up there, Brad, there was no TV, there was no mobile phones, there was no computers. You had to spend a lot of time either, you know, reading or practising or whatever. And, you know, I came up with this idea that I was going to write um, all these signs and I'd put them up in my motel room. And a lot of them were, you know, several wins in Japan, several wins in Australia, several shoots course record, several gets new sponsorship, 
all these things that were so far-fetched. If any other player had walked into my room, they would have looked around and thought, she's mad. And then, yeah, and one by one, I started to tick them off. Yeah, so because, they were, you know, they seemed far-fetched, but they were achievable. They weren't out of the realms of possibility. That's right. So, you know, an average golfer can say, I'm going to win the club championships this week, or I'm going to win the monthly medal, or I'm going to reduce my handicap by five shots. But there's a process we have to follow to do that. Um, so, yeah, part of it is practicing more. Part of it is, um, you know, having the right things to practice. Um, and then doing the mental training. So I get people to write down their goals um, and, you know, once a week go over them and write them down again because the brain remembers things if they're written. And I used to write down those signs on a piece of blank paper, um, you know, probably three times a week when I was up in Japan. And I started to believe them. And, you know, because all of a sudden I started finishing in the top 30 and then I thought, oh, I can finish in the top 20. So I started focusing on that. Then the top 10 and one day I came fifth and I was only two shots from the lead. I thought, there's no, I can pick up two shots in four rounds. I could win a tournament. So that's how it works. And you just start believing that you, you can achieve it. But by setting the intention, putting up a sign. So golfers can start by making some signs right on your, on your mirror in your bathroom. I'm a great golfer. I'm going to reduce my handicap. Set the intention. Read it to every day and walk around and feel like that, that that is possible. Because if we're just thinking, I'm playing so badly, you know, my handicap's going backwards, I've got no chance of winning anything at the moment, well, that becomes our reality. So switching that thinking, switching your goals and, and um, what you want to uh, put into your head every day. So, um, yeah, there's a choice whether you want to do that or not. The brain loves affirmation. I'm sure you heard my first podcast with Ian Baker Finch and he had a note in his wallet that yes. he would read. He said, I'm the greatest putter in the world. That's very much sums up what you're just talking about. And Ian was a brilliant putter. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he told yeah. himself every day and then it became true. So it wasn't just yeah, fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I get people to do affirmations as well. And I actually had... Um, a similar thing when I was in Japan, I had affirmations. My uh, one was, I hit my driver long and straight. Uh, two was, uh, I hit my irons close to the pin. Three, I have a great short game. Four, I'm a great bunker player. And five, uh, I hold putts under under pressure. And I would say them over and over again. I noticed so, there was I, nothing there that said I hit it in the water. No, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or I miss cuts or, you know, I'm I'm not so good at this game or poor me. You know, I, um, yeah, and I, I do remember one time I was, I don't know why I remember it, but I, uh, the courses up there were pretty narrow, as you know, and I remember getting to this par four and it was so tight and uh, coming from that the green before to that tee, I was thinking, gosh, I've got to hit a good drive here. And then it just popped into my head. I, oh, it doesn't matter because I hit my driver long and straight because I'd been coaching myself that belief for so long. I just thought, okay, I hit it long and straight. So I automatically felt better about the shot, picked my target where I wanted to hit it, went through my routine and, and made it happen. Well, that'd be great advice on, you know, everyone's sort of got a bogey hole, whether it's at their home yeah. club or 
that they just mm. don't play well and you know it mm. frightens them to death and they're fearing yeah. that whole five holes in advance so that's that's yeah. probably a great way to try and overcome that that's right and that's one of the examples in my book because we all know that you know when i do a presentation and i use that as an example oh i hate the seventh hole everyone laughs because they do and you know it's because they played it badly one time and what they did they just kept replaying it and replaying it so that became what they thought of that hole instead of going back what we to what we said about just hitting one shot at a time it's just another drive it's just your second shot hit it on the green and and make a good part so it's not rocket science brad it's but it's just having the awareness and um yeah putting in the time and effort to to change things as you would if you wanted to change your, your golf swing. Yeah, like anything, it takes it takes work, practice, and until yeah. it becomes habit, you almost mm. you know have you don't know any better. Yeah. So yeah. what about but in I, uh, let's say in golf or in the sporting world, who do you see as having it all together, like everything, the the mental, the the physical, someone that we can appreciate and pay attention to. Obviously, we can't get inside their brain to see what's going on, but. You can read a lot of stuff from the outside. Well, you probably can't go past Roger Federer. And, you know, he was, here's the story, you know, he was pretty hot-tempered and he does talk about his transformation um, and how he had to take control of his behaviour and that behaviour came from the way he was thinking. And, you know, these days you, you, you see he trains pretty hard and to be still playing as well as he is at his age after everything that he's achieved, he, um, you know, he's got to have it right in, in, his, in his mind uh, what he still wants to achieve and how's he going to do that. And, um, you know, he still has his, his practice routine and his physical routine and I'm sure mentally things aren't as easy as they once were um, now he is ageing. And, you know, probably... You know, he has to step up to guys half his age nearly these days and, um, yeah. I how think do he has two sets of twins. That can't be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. know he was hot-tempered when he was younger. That's, that's you know, I just think it's he's the ice man. Yeah, well, we did because, well, no one really knew of him then. But, yeah, he, he talks about a coach that, um, I forget who it was, but, yeah, do a little research and just have a look. He was... Um, yeah, a naughty little boy on the courts, so to speak, in his younger days, like so many of them. But, um, yeah, he changed it around and, um, yeah, look what he's done. Yeah, it's been marvellous. And he's, he's <laughs> one of my favourites to watch. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. a sports nut, but I'll, I'll watch him any time yeah. he's on. Yeah, so on a slightly different note, real quick, um, let's yep. the Vic Open that was on. Uh, yes. You know, it's, um, it's an um, unbelievable idea, women and men playing on the same venue, same time, same prize mm -hmm. money. Um, did you get to watch it? What do you think of it? I wish you wish that was around in your day, obviously, but it's uh, it's a great concept and you think it's going to take off in other areas of the world. Um, yeah, it is an amazing concept. I, I um, didn't, I watched um, from the, on the TV this year, but uh, I did go down to it uh, when it originally started, uh, 
um, because my husband was um, running the tour then and I went down there and, um, yeah, just the atmosphere and you knew it was going to grow into something special and, and it indeed has done that. It's just, um, it's a great concept. Apparently it was, the, the buzz this year was just amazing. It was it was almost like a carnival. I mean, we know that golf's got to change a little bit, um, you know, keep to keep uh, people interested in it and I think this is a fantastic con uh, concept and, uh yeah, the, from what I know, the players love it, the galleries love it, and you know the promoters and the organisations. So it's it's a they're definitely onto something there, and it'd be great to see more of it um, around the world. And obviously, you love what you're doing. You're very uh, yeah, you know enthusiastic, and you can sound in the in the sound of your voice that you love what you're doing. That that's obviously a part of being a great instructor that you love what you're doing. So with your What's what's the biggest um, or the the thing that's brought the biggest smile to your face? You know, whether it's a improvement of someone or just that you get to meet people every day and help them, or what what do you enjoy the most? Um, well, every time I do a presentation, I really um, like it. Um, so there's usually a room full of. Um, golfers. Uh, um, it's interesting uh, the mixed ones I've done when the guys have come in and sort of sat down the back with their arms folded and by the end of it they're the ones with their hands up asking questions. Um, but you know and I did that down at uh, Naruma Golf Club and I remember that um, and I played golf there the next day and I was just sitting inside the clubhouse with friends and this guy came running over and he said can you sign my golf ball because I had 44 points today and I've never done that and it's all because of your talk yesterday and that yeah and a lot of the things that you know I get text messages or emails from people that say, wow, you know, they get results instantly and I love it. I love just watching them laugh when I give them the examples of getting out an old ball or, you know, I'm in the bunker, I might as well pick up and, and those so true. <laughs> and they all, yeah, they all relate. And then when they've got a, a, a tool to change that, you know, one lady came I do a lot of clinics with the Australian Ladies Professional Golf and I always do the mind presentation and they do a full day of coaching. And uh, a lot of the women, there was one woman that came one year and she came the following year and she stood up after my presentation and she said, I want to tell everyone in the room that when I came 12 months ago, I was off a handicap of 36 and I'm off 18. And I was terrified of bunkers and now I just know I can hit out of them. And it's, you know, she was thanking me and, and that puts a smile on my face. You know, I helped a young guy that got on the web.com tour and, um, yeah, just, you know, only had a couple of sessions with him and it, it really changed um, some of the ways he was thinking. You know, I had a guy, believe it or not, a guy tracked me down that I had played school golf with when I was about 15 or 16 and he's now a senior player and he, he was thinking of going on the men's senior tour. He's always been a good golfer. And when we chatted first, he was off scratch and now he's off plus three. And I just, I, it, it really excites me that what I teach is working. And I've had some sessions that are, are so much fun just talking to golfers one-on-one -on -one, um, about what they're struggling with. And by the end of the session, you know, I, I, I actually want to pay them because I've got so much out of it. I don't though, Brad. But <laughs> You've probably got some weird questions too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
some of those people come up some of the i think golfers are quite a strange strange lot in some regard they they say things off the, the you know from the collar and they say stuff that i would never dream of saying some some crazy things yeah 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 oh and last year we did um a rookie camp here in australia for the young girls that had turned pro they only they had to be in their first three years on tour and we had a lot of players um rachel uh hetherington shaney war myself and um, we we skyped kari and we were uh, talking about different aspects for these girls going on tour and i did my presentation to the girls and um a lot of them, you know, put their hand up. It was their favourite session. But when I spoke to them individually, it was really, really uh, fascinating. Probably 14 out of the 16 girls were in tears when they spoke to me just because of um, the pressures and what goes on in their head. And that's a big part that we haven't even really got to, to touch on today, um, you know, um, a lot of people's self-esteem, uh, what they think other people are thinking. You know, even average women golfers, um, you know, they they don't play that well because they might be worrying about what the other ladies in the group um, think or what their husbands think or whatever. So it's all this thinking stuff. And, they, you know, they, they're overcome, as you say, with this fear or doubt. And we have to address those issues as well to build people's self-esteem up. And it was certainly something I had to do as a young golfer as well. So, you know, we can we can possibly talk on that at a later date too because I know it helps a lot of people to um, investigate that area as well. Yeah, I never even thought of that. That's that's a great point. Mm, yep. So what about uh, Endor up here? How's your game? Do you get to play much? Or, obviously, you, you've got to practice what you preach so you obviously uh, still go I, out and play i don't play that much um i do when i do i love it um i probably only play once a month um and it's really interesting because a lot of times when i'm doing a clinic people say oh jenny will you hit a drive and um i go straight into oh my gosh i haven't got my club i've got no glove i haven't hit balls in a while so my head runs riot and i go hang on a minute and I pulled myself up and I'm like, okay, you've hit a thousand you million golf. Yeah, get my notes out, go through them. Okay. And all I do is just trust that I know what I'm doing, go back to my old routine. And most of the time I still hit it pretty good. So, and yeah, even when I first stopped playing internationally and I just played locally in Australia when I had my kids and the Australian Ladies Masters, um, you know, I'd drop the kids at school and go out and play and pick them up afterwards. And During the tournament. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was funny. Um, uh, the first few years um, I'd, you know, get out early, early tea time or whatever and I'd be on the leaderboard and everyone would be like, oh, my gosh, she's just done the school pickup. But I used to just say to myself, it's no different. But, I, you know, I'm, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of one of the journalists um, – in Australia, anyway, I can't think of his name right now, said to me, oh, you must be like, you know, not expecting to go too well in the Masters because, you know, you're not competing anymore. And I just thought if I told myself that, that's what would happen. But I just told myself it's still playing golf. It's still one shot at a time. I've done some practice. I've prepared for this tournament. And, uh, you know, often I would still, um, you know, finish okay in those big tournaments even though I wasn't playing full time. 
so yeah, it's pretty. Um, I, I love that I've got to experience all that, and I and so now, yeah, I am very passionate about what I teach, um, and yeah, just want to share it with more people worldwide, even. Well, how do we how do we do that? Where are we gonna? Where's people gonna find you, Jen? Oh well, there's my um, my website, Jenny Seville the Mind Game, and on that you can see um, who I am. Uh, you can purchase my book through that. Um, I've got a work. Um, workshop presentation on there that's also available. It's only $39. My book's only $24. And I have the Mind Gym, which is 25 um, uh, tools and strategies the on mind video. Gym sounds intriguing to me. I might have to look into that myself. Yeah, yeah. It's something that I actually wanted to build on. Um, I did do the 25 videos and I just put them together as a package prior to Christmas. But I think. I would love to build it as um, an online program that people can check in every week and there'll be tips, mental training tips that they can regularly look at and they'll think, oh yeah, I need to work on that. And then they go back next week and there's another one, they can send me a question, they, um, you know, uh, can ha we can have a discussion group about what other people are finding difficult and you often learn that way. So yeah, just doing something regular as I said to keep that that brain active and strong and yeah it's it's definitely available my the start of it with the 25 videos um, so yeah I'd recommend any of that if uh, people are interested in uh, yeah looking how the mind can uh, um, certainly improve our game and it's interesting because a lot of people are reluctant to spend time or money on that side of the game. You know, they'll go and buy a four thousand uh, dollar set of clubs or the latest driver, and they think instant this is going to fix me. But um, you know, combine what you and I teach together in those clubs, yeah, you got a chance. So. Yeah, or you could, if you combine our our work together, they could use a stick with a tin can on the end of it. Doesn't really oh, matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's obviously um, golf's not just one part. And I'm really glad we got the mm -hmm. opportunity to talk today and open up that. And if there's a lot more we want to talk about and people have questions and they contact me via my website or via your website and we might yeah. be able to do a little Q&A and get back to them at a, at a further date. And just you're situated on the Gold Coast in Australia. That's correct. So if anyone's looking, be sure to do .com.au at the end of Jenna, Jennifer Seville, Jenny Seville Mind Game. And That's you'll, correct. Find the, yep. you'll find the correct one. And hopefully someone learn or follow up and do your course. Like I said, I'm interested in the gym. I don't like the workout gym, but the mind gym sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, you can do it in the comfort of your home, off on your cell phone, wherever you are, on the way to golf. So yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty powerful. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to work individually, we can always do it by Skype or or phone call or whatever as well. So yeah, thanks for having me on today, Brad. Very awesome, Jen. Glad to have you as a guest. And I loved listening to a lot of the things you said, and I'm sure the viewers will too. It's a often overlooked part of golf, the mind and the mind game, how we can use it and how it can benefit us. It's not just golf swing. Best players don't always have the best swings, but they know how to get the ball in the hole. So that's it for another episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. That was a great one. I love the mental side of golf. 
There's a lot of involvement, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of thinking, and the greats did it better than anyone else. That's why they performed so well under pressure. I hope you learned something from it, I'm sure you did. And until next time, this is Bradley Hughes. Thanks for joining, and thank you, Jennifer Seville, for being our guest this week.